Here's the problem. Culture has changed and is dragging our teens through the mud under the banner of progress. Parents are confused about how to connect, what works and doesn't work, and how to engage a teen that seems to be coming more and more distant. This book, Tough Guys and Drama Queens, helps parents understand the nature of today's teen culture, grasp those styles that no longer work, and presents methods of practical helps for parents to restore, maintain, and grow their relationship with their teen. I wrote this book with parents of teens and preteens in mind, believing that if parents had some more parenting tools in their parenting toolbox, they would remain the mighty influence during their teens' most difficult years. Here's another neat thing. There's a curriculum series of the same title that I know can help your small group in dealing with the issues every parent faces during their child's teen years. It even comes with a participant's and a leader's guide. And you can get this book and the curriculum series at www.toughguysanddramaqueens.com. That's toughguysanddramaqueens.com. You'll love it. And your teens will love you more because you've taken the time to understand their world and how you can better help them flourish. Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you as a parent gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston shares a personal devotional to help you as you walk through life with your teen. Let's hear what Mark has to say. Hey, I'd love for you guys to listen to this closely. There's a, um, an old Ethiopian proverb that says this, The fool speaks, the wise man listens. John Maxwell um, has said this about good leaders, and I would apply it to good parents and good grandparents. Motivate others by their listening skills. We are to avoid prejudicial first impressions become less self-centered, withhold initial criticism, stay calm, listen with empathy, be active listeners, clarify what we hear, and recognize the healing power of listening. Then we are able to act upon what we hear. And we all know this, this, you know, out of James 1.19, where Paul writes, and he said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, there's things that you hear when you're a parent that you don't always like, but the way in which you hear it and the way that you engage makes all the difference in the world. If there's ever a time that our adolescents are looking for someone to listen, it's now. Over the last few years, I've watched our culture kind of move away from some very basic principles and values necessary for relational interaction to an atmosphere where communication is more about the one-way expression of one's thoughts and beliefs rather than the two-way street of someone actively listening to the heart of people struggling to be heard. Chuck Swindoll made a comment to me once when we were uh, doing some radio programs together, and he said this. He said, I, could, I think I could change every parent in their relationship with their children with just one word, listen if they would just 
listen. A number of years ago, there was a group called Black Lives Matter. It was formed back in 2012, and and uh, don't don't take this as a political statement or, or anything, but it was a group of people that were concerned, and and they just said Black Lives Matter, and they wanted people to listen. And you know, and and I want you to hear kind of the 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 response to this that that people made. So everybody came out and said, well, you know, blue lives matter and, and, uh, all lives matter and, uh, firemen's lives matter. And, and the focus of public response was shifted to other groups who, who almost invalidated the message that black lives matter was trying to say that, Hey, our, our lives matter. Now, again, don't take this as a political statement, but our response to somebody saying that something matters where we kind of generalize and make other things matter, is about as wise as me saying to my wife when she came to me and said, I was sexually abused by a grandfather for seven years. It's about as wise for me to say to her, well, sweetheart, a lot of people were abused by their grandfather. Or when somebody comes to me and and says that they've had a real difficult time in uh, with their depression, and I say to them, well, you know what? A lot of people have problems with their depression. What if my son came to me and, and shared with me that he was getting bullied at school and had been beaten up a few times, and my response was, well, you know, a lot of people are bullied and, and are getting beat up at school. You know, I'm again sure that this kind of response would shut down our relationship and probably preclude any future communication if the request for help and reaching out for hope is ignored, then the heart is hardened by the hard-hearted response. There is something about the way that we respond to people that we immediately think of ourselves instead of looking to somebody else. A young lady came to me once and she said, hey, I was conned by a, a young fella that subsequently raped me. And she let me know that it was the first time she was able to talk about her incident. She was vulnerable in her desire to share feelings and, and the heartache that she'd been carrying for a couple of years. I remembered that her words were shaky, her heart was pounding, her chin quivered, and the whole time she poured out her heart. If I ever hinted with words that generalized her message, saying, well, honey, many girls have been conned by young men and eventually raped. Do you think she would ever share anything with me again? You know, this is what I found. When people aren't heard, when teens aren't heard, they scream their message louder. And when the louder message isn't heard, then they become activists, if you will, within your family, actively behaving in a way to get other people's attention. You know, I wonder sometimes if unruly children who've reached the point of acting out uh, with their parents um, or someone else significant in their life— had actively listened, would would these kids um, not be in the position that they are now? So I, I believe this, that the key to active listening is to understand what you hear, to be aware of your filters. We all have them. Our filters interpret and translate how we hear the message coming from our children and our grandchildren. You know, I mean, and, and, and some of your... Filters may be traditions, how you were raised, your hurts, your perceptions, your background, your own beliefs, your own values, our own trust issues, our age, 
and our experiences can taint the messages that we hear. And so the challenge is to remove our filters and listen through our children's grid in some way. And I, and I think this is what Paul's speaking of in Philippians when he says, do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. That there's something about engaging and, and talking and, and listening to somebody else, that, that it's all about them, it's not about us. And, and if anybody knows me for a long period of time, they know that I believe that, that we need to move out of a teaching model of kids into a training model. And, and in the teaching model, you and I as a parent and grandparent get to talk a lot because it's a teaching model. But when we start training somebody else, when we train up a child in the way that he or she should go, we've got to kick in and start listening a whole lot more. And so I would tell you to, to make it your goal to understand your child's world and to filter their message in the way that looks out for their interests, not your own. And effective parents are good listeners. And they possess the ability to look to the interest of their teen's world and not lean on their own understanding of their own world. That's called participatory listening. I've said it a million times. Okay, so let me give you some, some quick, uh, maybe some quick things, maybe little helps here. One, uh, I think to, to, to listen, because people ask me all the time, Mark, how do you how do you get along with kids? How do you do the work that you do with kids? And many people know that I live with 60 high school kids and have lived with over 3,000 kids through the years. And they say, how do you communicate with them? And I go, you know what? I listen. I listen and I focus on them rather than focusing on me. I'm not trying to come up to, with an answer. I'm trying to engage with them to understand their heart. I'm listening with the intent of understanding not with the intent of responding. And so I would tell you this, that you've got to create an, an atmosphere that invites them to come to you. So invite them. Let, make sure the welcome mat is always out. Make sure that they know you will always listen to them. Hey, if you ever have anything going on, I want you to know there's a couple of ears here that would love to hear your heart. And that may sound kind of odd to a lot of people, but I think it's a it's a message that, that kids are looking for because there aren't too many people out there listening to them. And I would tell this to all those busy dads and busy moms that we're spending all our time running everywhere and not stopping, that listen now and don't wait. You know, if you find yourself saying, hey, let's talk later, you're missing some connecting opportunities. So you may just want to look and engage differently. Yeah, and here's the other thing is, is that is that when you try to understand, it doesn't mean that you have to agree. You know, chances are you're at least 20 years older than your children. So when they become teens, it means that you might try relating to them the way that you remember, you know, your teen years, 33 years ago. And that's a lot of years that have ushered in a world of change. So expect that there will be huge differences in the way your children perceive relationships and newsworthy events and the way that you do. Call it a generation gap, if you will. These are just differences, differences that'll come up in your discussions. And, and, and just because there's differences, it doesn't mean that something's wrong. Sometimes your child is, is engaging and speaking out loud and getting your opinion so they can process all the stuff in their head. And you and I sometimes have this amazing 
desire or longing or, or feel like we're fulfilling our parenting role when, when we feel like we have to correct them all the time. And another comment that I make, quit correcting and start connecting with your child. They don't have to say everything right, do everything right, be everything in your discussion. You know, it's it, it, you're going to have the opportunities to talk about serious topics, whether it's abortion or marijuana or terrorism or politics or, you know, what's going on in the world today, what's happening with the pandemic that's that's spreading across the the world, and people have different thoughts on that. You know, it's almost like you might need to say to your child, hey, I know that we won't agree on everything, but by helping me understand how you think, you may move me closer to appreciate your viewpoint. Now, how many kids really hear that from parents? You know, and 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 you want to stay away from those fighting words. Some of those fighting words, you know, that that infuriate a child may be comments like this, where you say, "Hey, where did that come from?" Which sounds just a little judgmental. Or who told you that? Are you kidding me? Or when you say this in a number of different ways, that's so stupid. Or uh, did you come up with that on your own? I mean, sometimes kids are, 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 are moved away from us just by our response of like, you idiot, you moron. Why in the world would you think that way? How could my child think it's stupid thoughts like that? Or you might say this, that's hard to believe. Or if you really want to turn your son off and get him where he'll never come back and talk to you, just say, hey, you know, that's wrong. You know, it, it, it may be wrong. But if you lose the opportunity to have a lifetime of influence based upon one discussion because you shut them down and tell them they're wrong, you'll never have the opportunity to engage with them at a later date. So here's some comments that I always make with kids and and that may move you in a positive way, move you forward rather than backing you up. And that's where you just say, hey, well, when they make a comment, say, you know, that's interesting. Wow, that's different. Hey, I never thought of that. Hmm. Hmm. Hey, I see where you're coming from. I've never heard it said that way before. Those are all comments that intrigue a child to say, hey, the welcome mat is still out. I want you to come to me. And at the same time, I want you to be able to talk about things where you don't feel a sense of judgment or a demand for perfection or an expression of authority that, that makes sure that, that I'm always looking to my interest and not their interest. You hearing what I'm saying? I hope that you're listening. Here's another one. Don't interrupt. It's a no-no. <laughs> I mean, if you ever want to shut down a conversation, just start interrupting your child. And then and then what you'll find is you'll interrupt them, they'll interrupt you, and it just elevates the conversation. So now emotions are running a little bit higher, and, and so somebody starts to say something, they go, well, why are you so mad? Well, I'm mad because you're interrupting me all the time. And so if you have a difficulty, you know, in, in having a conversation where you're always interrupting, do this, take a pen, hold it in your hand, and and play this little game, and you say this, when I have the pen, I get to speak. And when I'm finished speaking, I'll hand you the pen. Now you hold the pen and you speak, and I won't say a word. And what that does is get you into the into the mindset where you're actually looking at your child saying, 
I'm going to listen to everything you say. And quit spending the time thinking about a rebuttal. Uh, Quit thinking about how you're going to respond. Quit thinking about that quick answer that you're going to give back. But focus in on them at their time when they're holding that pen and just listen. And here's another thing. Don't correct during conversations. You know, my son used to do this to me all the time, and I found that I just didn't want to tell stories when I was around him. You know, and here's a son and a mom. They would do this. You know, mom, we spent two hours at the swimming pool. Mom would say, no, it was an hour and a half. The son would say, okay, I swam six laps on my own. And mom said, no, it was only four. Okay, uh, then we left to go get a hamburger. No, you had a cheeseburger. Okay, we came home. I took a nap for an hour. No, it was 30 minutes. And the son finally just says this. Well, whatever, just forget it. I don't even want to have a conversation around you. You get the picture from this conversation. What is it about people that they can't leave well enough alone and just let someone have a conversation without correcting any possible misinformation? What happens in these situations is that eventually your child will have a conversation only in the presence of one, avoiding the corrector's presence. And most teens would rather not share anything than have a discussion that's full of correction. Here's another thing that I would encourage you in in your listening. Bring value to the conversation. Um, Parents may have jobs where people listen, value their opinions, and can't wait to hear what they say, but then they come home and no one wants to listen what they have to say. And, And my point of it here is this. If you miss the validation you get from your job in your workplace, you may try to recoup it in your conversation with those around you your spouse, and your kids. Ask yourself how much of your conversation is an attempt to get value from the person you're communicating with rather than bringing value to them. When I'm listening to somebody else, I'm not trying to prop myself up. I'm trying to figure out how I can prop them up. Here's another comment that I would say, hey, focus on your children. You've had a lifetime of people listening to you. Now it's your turn to listen to your children. I love the scripture that's paraphrased. It says this, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. It's Proverbs 18, 13. You know, Proverbs is full of beautiful bits and pieces of wisdom that, that talk to us about how to listen. And it was written so long ago that it's basic humanness to want to interrupt and it's basic humanness to always share our opinion or you know even scripture says that a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut focus on your children you may want to do this repeat back what they just said okay this is what i'm hearing you say am i getting this right okay wait wait is this is this what i hear you saying okay let me understand this this is this is what you're trying to come across to me with Or you may say this, you know, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you help me a little bit here? Those are all ways to invite people to have a relationship with you and to engage in such a way that a child will come back to you over and over and over and over again. You know, I I love the idea when kids say this, you know, I don't remember what Mark said, but he listens to me. And what's amazing to me is eventually come to a point where they start asking questions and they they want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Kids are dying to be heard. And you and I have that awesome opportunity to be before them with our ears 
to listen, to spend time listening to their heart. I know a young man named Mike who struggled at home, and, and uh, he often said to me that, that he had a tough time finding somebody that would just listen. And he came and lived with us for a while and, and was doing really well because we spent a lot of time listening to him. He went back home. Um, and he was just one of those kids that thought a little more deeply than others. And as a result, um, he felt things a little bit deeper than others. And he struggled with a little bit of depression. And he, you know, he rejected my suggestion of going to see a counselor so he would have somebody to talk to. And he said this, he said, you know, they're always trying to, to fix me instead of listening to what I have to say. He just wanted to be heard. And in desperation and really uh, out of frustration, um, this young man, Mike, got to the end of his rope, uh, figuratively and literally. He tried to hang himself. And finally, that got attention of those people around him. He didn't die, uh, but he did damage his spine to the point that he'll spend the rest of his life in a wheelchair. Mike told me that his unsuccessful attempt to kill himself was so that people he loved would read the six-page letter he wrote describing what he was feeling and thinking all along. All Mike wanted was for someone to listen, and it almost cost him his life. Hey, teens are dying for someone to just listen. Don't pay that awful price. Be the listening ear that they need. Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. For more information, you can visit parentingtodaysteens.org, heartlightministries.org, or markgregston.com. Join us back here tomorrow for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.